Good morning. Let me make sure my mic is on. Okay, cool. Uh, my name is David Class. You could call me Dave, I guess. Um, and I am the student pastor here at Common Ground Church. Um, just to give you a little intro into who I am, uh, my wife Becca is over there. Go ahead, wave. Okay, cool. Fun. <clears throat> All right. Now I got this thing dangling off of me like a tail. Oh, well. Cool. So, um, but yeah, it's been good. Let's jump into things. So have you ever been responsible? Let's see. Okay, there we go. Have you ever been responsible for something that you treasured greatly? You know, something that is precious, maybe delicate, but definitely important to you. You know, it could have been family heirloom, just a prized possession of some kind. How did you treat that thing? How did you care for it? So as a society, think about this for a second. What would you say is our greatest treasure? What about as a church? What is a church's greatest treasure? Well, outside of, you know, God, Christ, salvation, um, our greatest treasure that we have been given is our children. Now, I don't only mean that my two daughters are specifically my greatest treasure. And, you know, your kids, your grandkids, nieces, nephews are specifically just your greatest treasure. I also mean that all children alive today and all children alive in the future are all of our greatest treasures for the human race. So, yes, this morning... The sermon might be more specifically, directly at parents, grandparents, and such, aunts, uncles, and all that, but it really is for any single adult person who calls himself a part of the church. Now, it has been said that uh, children are a country's greatest and most precious resource, and that you can rather easily uh, judge a society's heart by how they treat their children. And I would say the exact same thing can be said about a church. Um, you can pretty easily know right away if this church's heart is bad or not by how they treat their kids. So that's true. Then what goals should a church be striving towards? So we're going to try to answer that when it comes to our greatest treasure this morning. So today we're going to be talking about something called family discipleship. I'm going to be using that term quite a bit. And the phrase family discipleship, means the intentional, active practice of parents with assistance from the church, teaching their children about who God is, how to have a saving and abiding relationship with him, 
and how to live out their faith in Jesus Christ. So notice how I mentioned that the church is to assist parents in discipling their children, not actually lead the discipleship of the kids, but to assist the parents who are leading the discipleship in their own individual homes. So I've been very, very blessed for nearly 20 years to be able to see God use family discipleship to change lives all over the country. I've lived all over the place due to my dad's work and then uh, the work I'm in. So I've just seen it implemented um, and work countless times, to be honest. However, what we need to understand, and one of the main reasons why we're talking about this this morning, is that the American church as a whole is failing pretty miserably at this. So about 75 to 80 percent of young adults when uh, graduating uh, from high school will leave the church for good. 75 to 80 percent of churched kids. So today we're going to talk about what God desires for our kids instead of that, and what he calls us to do as the adults of the church to make his will happen. So The Bible does speak quite a bit on discipleship, but it also makes it clear uh, to us on how to go about specifically living out this family discipleship we're talking about today and how to do it in our homes. So we are going to read one of my favorite passages on this topic, um, but before we do that, we got to understand a few things about this passage. So first is, is that we have to understand that God wrote this passage through Moses. Moses, one of the the founding fathers of the faith, you could say. Uh, Moses did so. He wrote this during a pretty tough time of wandering for 40 years in this desert after being freed from uh, slavery in Egypt. So Moses was used by God to free the slaves from Egypt and bring them into the promised land. He himself never got there, but um, the younger generations were able to walk in there. Um, And this is an area that God had picked out for them. So the Israelites are trying to find their way there, wandering through the desert in the Middle East, uh, which I'm assuming is not very pleasant. um, And they're really, really struggling to follow God correctly. So you also have to remember that they were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. This was not a short period of time. And what that resulted in was most of the Israelites forgetting about God due to a lack of family discipleship for generations. And that's when God comes in to our passage this morning and he gives this eternally important command. So we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6. So you can open up your Bible to that because we're going to be in that for most of the morning today. So Deuteronomy 6, and we're going to read uh, verses 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right. So most of the people, when this was written, uh, they're in the desert. They have not been raised in the faith, like I said, for a few generations. And God was giving this command that we just read this morning to stop this bad streak and do this big turn to change things around for his people. And God is going to use family discipleship to do that. 
So from this passage, the cool thing is, is we could see that family discipleship is not this super deep theological phrase that means something that only, you know, the greatest scholars can truly understand. We can see that it simply means to teach your children about God and his word every day. But we see here it's more of an active teaching. It's not this student-teacher classroom approach, but more through experience, practice, living it out together. This is closer to the Jesus-type discipleship we read about with him and his disciples, doing life together, having experiences. So, in fact, Jesus even talks about this passage. He, He teaches his disciples that this is the greatest command, to love God with everything we have. And that is the doctrine in the scripture, and the doctrine is super clear for us. There is only one God. There are no other gods. You may not worship anyone else or anything else. You may only worship God. God is also Lord of all. He is Lord of everything. He is the king of the universe. He is in charge. And he has to be most important to you. He has to be most important to your kids. And our understanding and response to this truth of who God is, is to love him with every fiber of our being, with every part of our hearts. If he truly is the one and only God and Lord of all, then no other response really makes any sense. So now that some might hear this, and some who oppose Christianity and this style of parenting, you know, being described in this passage, might hear this and say, man, I don't know, constantly preaching this to your kids all the time kind of sounds like, an inform, like a form of indoctrination. And to that, I would say they are absolutely correct. So we have to understand that, and that brings us to our first point. Family discipleship is indoctrination. So family discipleship is indoctrination because teaching the doctrines, teaching the worldview of God as laid out in his word without yielding to any contrary opinions of the world or apologizing for the potential offensiveness of this truth would be defined as indoctrination. Now, indoctrination has become kind of a bad word in a culture that loves the idea of letting kids just choose for themselves what they think is true. But to put it bluntly, that's a really horrific lie to buy into, and no one alive actually buys into that lie. Um, You don't let your kids go and play in a busy street. Your kid comes up to you and goes, but it's my truth that I can play on the highway. You're going to go slap? No, you're wrong. (laughs) Um, You know, if they're like, I want to run into the woods and climb the mountains for a week, I'll see you later, same response. We don't actually honestly let our kids, especially when they're younger, choose their path in any way in life. So if you're okay with letting your kids find their own way spiritually, that's likely evidence that you don't actually believe that God is one, that God is Lord of all. To not tell your kids what is true is simply the opposite of love. Plus, all parents, doesn't matter what you believe in, they're already indoctrinating their kids with what they believe to be real anyway, whether they know it or not. And in our case, we are intentionally helping the next generation navigate a dangerous journey of life through temptations and just lots of hateful misinformation. We see in other religions, and I would say even 
especially um, in atheism, they mostly try to hide contradicting information from their kids. They try to protect them from ever hearing a word that differs from the worldview that they're teaching them. They're trying to, you know, give them safe spaces so that their ears don't pick up something that might change their worldview. But in following Christ, we actually teach our children how to think so they can better analyze reality. And we do so with the goal of actually sending them away, actually sending them into the world to gracefully bring the truth to everyone. So let's quickly go back to verse 4 and reread that. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So God does everything on purpose and for a purpose. So why would God want to start this passage about family discipleship and and family leadership um, to start with this declaration that God is Lord and he is one? Well, the he is one part is focusing on several things, but mainly the fact that God has one clear instruction for everyone. And there is to be no confusion as to what this command means and who is giving this command. So God wanted Moses to write first that God is Lord and the only Lord, and that this discipleship is structured, active teaching about the one true God. And for us, with the completion of our faith, the only God in three persons. So God also needed them to understand that family discipleship is intentional, it's structured, it is not a uh, free-floating, kind of formless lifestyle. This command to disciple our children is not about any other gods. It's not about our, our idols. It's not about love for the world. Certainly not universalism. It is about how Jesus is the only way to salvation. And that brings us to verse 5. Like I said, uh, Jesus said this is the greatest commandment. So it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. So this all starts with the parents loving God first and most. The only way to truly and fully love your kids is to sacrifice and spend time living out your faith. So kids can see that you truly actually prioritize Jesus and his mission and his church. So that love becomes real, becomes tangible. And that brings us to our second point, family discipleship is about God leading our hearts to him. Now, you can say that you prioritize Jesus and that you understand discipleship is about God leading our hearts and all that, all you want. But if you do not live out your faith, your kids are far too smart to not see your hypocrisy. So if you say Jesus is most important, but you never attend church or do anything that says that, or you say living for Jesus is your goal, but then at home you act and speak nothing like him. Living this double life of hypocrisy is the best and most effective way to destroy any possibility of your kids ever putting their trust in Jesus Christ. In fact, I would say it's far worse to do that than it is to simply be an atheist parent raising your kid in an atheist home because you are putting this ugly stain on Christ and an ugly stain on what it is to have a relationship with him. You're doing far more harm that way, and I honestly don't think it's even close. And because that is true, is that why maybe God commands us to love him first before he gives his command to teach our kids about him? I believe it is. Because, again, God needs us to understand 
family discipleship starts with the parents loving God first. If the parents love God first, then they can teach their kids. Then they can also teach them correctly. So parents that love God know that family discipleship is about loving him. It is not about using the threat of God's displeasure in order to get your kids to be quiet or sit still or stop bothering each other. Behavior manipulation is usually driven by fear, but obedience to God should be driven by sincere gratitude and love for him. And a well-behaved child is not the same thing as a discipled child. Now, while the Bible has a lot to say about godly behavior and obedience is a majorly important aspect of discipleship, behavioral modification is not our main goal. It's far too easy to raise a Pharisee, a kid who, who knows all of God's rules, but whose heart is really far from him. And God could have said in this passage, he could have said, you shall obey your Lord, your God, with all your might. He's purposefully said, you shall love your Lord, your God. So we want our kids to be obedient to God, not because they're uh, intimidated by him or by us, but because they genuinely love him and love to obey him and, and that they trust in his love and care for them. So family discipleship pursues a sincere heart change in kids, true Christian transformation. And transformation and heart change only come out of obedience, out of your kids owning their faith in Christ, which is the result of a loving relationship with God. And in order for your kids to truly personally own their faith and actually live it out, they need to experience it. So true faith requires experience at some point in the journey. And we can't always control our kids. We can't control their lives all the time. And they must experience their faith through sacrificial service. And they must have some of these experiences apart from their parents, apart from their grandparents. And that's why it's so important to have them serve here on Sunday mornings. There's a bunch of different ways they can serve. They can serve as greeters, um, doing other things with the Connections team, with the kids' ministry. They can even become student leaders at youth group on Wednesday nights. Our, our student leaders do a lot of work, and they're great. Um, and, and when they do that, they get to experience this authentic faith and truly own it. It becomes their faith in Jesus and not like, well, this is what my family believes in. Now, Moses says here that he gives us the definition of family discipleship. He says this is the goal. This is what we should be doing. But I want you to ask yourself, what is your goal for your kids? What are your dreams for your kids? Is it for them to be well-liked, popular, an athlete, successful later in life? Or is your dream, your ultimate goal for your kid, to love Jesus and have a personal, living, active faith in him? Well, if it's the latter, and obviously I hope it is, um, and if you are successful in discipling them, the result of that will be that God's word is written on their heart. The command to love God with everything they are will be on their heart. One consequence, however, of that happening is one that not all parents always instantly realize will take place. And that consequence is the reaction from the world to the fact that your child loves Jesus. That reaction is that they will be hated by the world. Now, that sounds kind of harsh, and the fact is, it is harsh sometimes. It is a harsh reality to come to terms with. We all want our kids to be happy. No one... 
wants to raise their kids to be disliked by other people. But this is the truth of the matter. So God instructs us to disciple our children. And you might be asking, and the result is in the end, people in the world will hate them. What's up with that? Um, well, let's go back to our passage. Uh, we're going to read verses 6, first part of verse 7 here. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So we're going to look at the, the terms here, on your heart and diligently. So God wants us to teach our children his words, commands us to do so until his word is on their hearts. That means we love God and we actually love his commands and his commands lead our lives. His commands are on the forefront of our minds. So the word Moses uses here for diligent in Hebrew, shanan, means to repeat constantly. We have to do that a lot with kids anyway, right? So, um, but if you do that, you teach your kids constantly about God until they love Jesus, then God's word will be written on their hearts. And if God's word is written on their hearts, you are raising kids who will be hated by the world. And that's point number three. Family discipleship will raise kids who are hated by the world. So that is why God, through Moses, said his commands must be in on our hearts and constantly taught to our children. Because Jesus himself said in John 15, if the world hates you, <clears throat> know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But the word is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So the world will hate us because of him. And Jesus is saying not for any other real discernible reason. If you disciple your children, your children will have purpose in their life. The one and only true purpose. They will have God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in them. They will receive salvation. They will truly know their God, their creator. They will know truth with a capital T. They will strive to live like Jesus with a love for other people. But they will stand out. And many in the world will hate them due solely because of that love for Jesus Christ. And if they know his word, however, then they will be able to mentally and spiritually overcome this opposition from the world and continue to live for Jesus. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So train them for these spiritual battles that will inevitably come. I personally know this to be true. Um, so when I was in college, I had a professor that really just kind of hated my guts <laughs> because I was a Christian. I had several professors that didn't like me because of this, but my writing professor in Massachusetts really, really did not like me. Um, it started with her asking about this tattoo on my forearm. It's a Doppler radar tracing of a hurricane with the cross of Christ through the middle of it. Um, she asked me what that meant, and I told her that it stood for Jesus being in the midst of storms in life with us. Um, my dad, uh, myself, and one of my brothers all went down south after Hurricane Katrina, and we did relief work, and it was a life-changing trip. And although we experienced a lot of traumatic things, um, we clearly saw Jesus in the middle of all of it, using his people, his church, to heal, help, love, and care for people. 
And that was why I got that tattoo. So my professor did not like that response very much. Um, it's not what she was looking for, apparently. So it wasn't a super fun year. Um, she was rude, uh, picked on me, even gave me some different assignments from the rest of the class, um, all for no reason besides that I answered a question about my love for Jesus. But throughout the whole thing, I always stayed strong. I never gave up or gave in, not because I'm brave, not because I'm extra strong, but because my parents had constantly, diligently taught me God's commands until I knew them, until I loved them, and they were written on my heart through the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And God got me through that spiritual battle because my parents had obeyed him due to their love for him, and they discipled me well. So how do we do that? How do we disciple the younger generations? Thankfully for us, Moses is very specific in verses 7 through 9. So let's read those one more time. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, some Jewish people actually take that very literally. In fact, right here, I brought my grandfather's mezuzah. Just this little piece right here with holes on either side that you can nail into your doorpost. Um, little tiny metal piece with some Hebrew written on it. And inside is a little kosher scroll. And on the scroll is some um, scripture. And the scripture that's written on it is actually our passage that we've been reading all morning in Deuteronomy. Now, Every time my grandfather and me used to go on walks, we used to go on a lot of walks um, when I was a kid, we would walk out the door, and he would always touch the mezuzah and then kiss his fingers. And when I was little, I asked him, like, why do you do that? You know, what does that all mean? And he said, well, this is why Jewish people have these. This is what it means. It means that when we're out of the house, all the words that leave our mouth should honor God. So when he taught me these things, my grandfather was very literally obeying God's command to teach me as we walked by the way. So God commands us to constantly, 24-7, disciple our children by talking about him and living out our faith in him. We are to do this in the home, away from the home, before we go to sleep, after we wake up. God through Moses is telling us that living like Jesus in order to disciple our children is supposed to happen basically nonstop. And that's why Moses wrote that God's word will be a sign on our hands and a, and a headband or frontlet between our eyes. He wanted us to keep God's commands, which is to love him, to the point where people go to shake our hand and they look you in the eye and they can tell you love Jesus. Or, you know, it's supposed to be in our homes, written on our doorposts. In other words, our family loves God. We keep his commands. And when people enter our home, they can sense there's something different. They can sense the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, I've talked about some ways that my parents and grandparents did this right, but now I want to talk about ways that I've seen hinder parents from raising godly kids. And in order to do that, we have to get a little blunt at first, so I'm going to be a little blunt with you. Um, family discipleship, this is point number four, is not a way to get admiration from your peers. So um, I believe it's pretty easy to see that this social media culture of posting things online, 
to receive admiration has definitely seeped into church culture, into church families, into like every aspect of life, really. But we can easily see pretty quickly parents parenting for themselves, not for their kids. We could see the classic sports dad, you know, living vicariously through his kids or the dance pageant moms through their daughters, um, hoping people will go up and actually praise them for their efforts. We have to make sure that we're fighting the temptation to lead our households in order to become an impressive mom or dad to our peers and instead impress on our kids their desperate need for a loving relationship with God. Another important note for newer parents and a good reminder for those with kids who are growing up, and this is really, really important, your identity as a parent is rooted in the fact that you personally are a child of God. Your identity is not found in the fact that you are a parent of your child. Because this is not about finding affirmation and the affection or admiration of other people. This is not even about building your personal legacy or making like little junior versions of yourself. Family discipleship shapes children into Christ's image, not into the image of their mom or dad. So you're not crafting a child to fit a mold of perfection for human admiration or parental pride. It's about seeing Jesus in you, people seeing Jesus in your kids. Family discipleship, again, forms your kids into Christ's image, not into the image of the parents. And trust me, for those who don't have kids yet, for those who do, you know exactly what this is like. When you see yourself in your kids, it's usually not a really fun experience. <laughs> You're not like, wow, that's so awesome. They're just like me. It's usually, God, forgive me for what I've done. Um, please don't let me raise someone just like me. Um, so believe me when I say this to you. You would rather look at your children and see Christ in them than see yourself. They need to become more like Christ so that God can use them for his purposes and his will. Not to say your kids need to be perfect or near perfect or that you'll ever be a near perfect parent. None of us ever will be. Um, you're not even expected to be a near perfect parent or grandparent. But I would say, in fact, you need to make sure you're not putting that level of pressure on yourself. Because, and this brings us to our final point this morning, family discipleship is really difficult. So it's already really difficult. And adding that you know, all those un unrealistic expectations on you is not going to help anything at all. It's difficult because the simple reality is that family discipleship is not the path of least resistance. We all know this. For kids, authority, training, regulations seem like enemies to freedom and pleasure and fun. Hebrews 12:11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we don't disciple our kids because it's easy. We don't do it because it's painless. We do it because God says so and because we know God is what's best for our kids. So let's go back to verse 9 real quick. It says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So because we know God is best for our kids, our homes must be led by him. Jesus Christ must be present in our homes. But that's difficult to do. It's, it's way easier to say. And I would say, especially in today's age, of a billion distractions. But we have to remember, distractions are our enemy, Satan's best weapons. In the past, I have seen 
church-going, Christ-loving families start to add in a sport for each kid. That's not bad. I love sports more than almost anyone I know. Um, then they start to add in music and dance and all these other things, and then a less, private lessons for each thing. And I've seen these families get to a point where their lives would tell you that throwing a ball has become more important than spending time together with Jesus Christ as a family. So discipling your kids is one of the most important jobs you have here while alive on earth. And children are our greatest treasure, and shepherding them must be our greatest and highest task as a church. I mean, if God commands us to do something diligently and constantly all day every day, it has to be one of the most important things in our lives, regardless of what it is. But we are to live out this discipleship as parents, as adults in this church. In the end, when we're all old and we, and we look at our children who are all growing up, will be adults one day, do we want to see Jesus in their eyes when we go and shake their hands? Do we want to sense the presence of Jesus Christ when we enter into their homes? Or do we want something else? Do we want anything else? This begins with you, the adult in this church, having an authentic love for God. And then you need to ask yourselves, do you sacrifice? Do you give? Do you serve? Do your kids see you doing it? Are they included in on all of that? God commands us to do so out of love for him. And in order to accomplish that, we have to let God work through us to raise the children in the church now, in our homes, as we walk by the way, as we lie down at night, as we rise in the morning, to become more like Christ, so that when they grow older, they will not depart from him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for giving us such clear instructions on how to do this great and high task of raising our kids to love you, become like you, know your commands, love your commands, obey you, out of love. You, you've made it very clear to us. And even though it's clear, that doesn't mean you're saying it's easy and simple. It, it is hard to live out. But Lord, we know that it is through your Holy Spirit that we can even uh, say no to the world and say yes to you. It's the same thing with parenting. We're never going to be able to parent correctly. We're never going to be able to disciple our kids correctly on our own strength and own power. That's why we have to love you first, Lord. God, I pray for every parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, and every adult in this church that you uh, lead us, lead our hearts to you, to love you first, so that we can live out actively, intentionally, for you, Lord, a love for you, obedience to you, through your power and your strength. Help us be a church, Lord, that 20 years from now we can look back and see that we are not a part of that statistic. We're not the 80%. We're in the 20%. We're sending kids off and away to go and preach the gospel gracefully and in truth to everyone they meet. Use us, Lord, to be an example Use us, Lord, as a blueprint for other churches. God, just have your will be done with the greatest treasure you've given us, our kids. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.